Welcome to Tackless Talks and next in our series on Pirkei Avos. We are addressing this week the fifth chapter in Pirkei Avos. If you're hearing this podcast right now, mid-May, uh, 9th, 10th, 11th of May, you are hearing the chapter that's going to be studied around the world this coming Shabbos. If you're hearing it beyond that, well, it's a timeless message. Hopefully you find it meaningful regardless. The opening of the fifth chapter Actually, most of this chapter seems rather out of place. Pirkei Avos has all been, as we've described from the beginning, about our development in terms of our ethical conduct, our personal growth, our aspirations for greatness, and, of course, rooted in the recognition that true good is as measured by our adhering to the Word of God. But, this chapter, let's see, the beginning... Basar Mamoros, with ten declarations, God created heavens and earth. And then we go on to ten generations from Noah to Abraham, Adam to Noah, and ten generations from Noah to Abraham. And Abraham having ten trials and many tens and then sevens. We have different categorizations based on different numbers, but where's the personal growth message over here? This book is not a book of historic record or just collating data about uh, ancient Israel. So what is the message for us in, let's look for today, this issue of the ten utterances with which the world was created. Now the Mishnah itself says that this teaches us the ramifications for our deeds, that those who are doing good and doing that which is spiritually maintaining the world furthering the world, they are supporting a ten-utterance world. Those who are, unfortunately, doing the opposite and are doing acts that are spiritually destructive are destroying a ten-utterance world. But what does that mean? Had God created the world with 50 statements, 100 statements, 1,000 statements? Is it a more complicated world for him to create? God created the world. He chose to divide the world into ten utterances, by the way, even though we talk about six days of active creation, but there are multiple declarations of, and God said, let there be light, and God said, let the earth sprout forth, etc. And those aren't six, but rather ten. Many tying that to the very opening word, that introduction of that itself being one of the declarations, but does it matter how many declarations God used, and that really changes the degree of the severity of the bad behavior or the reward for the good behavior, because you are either destroying or hopefully building and maintaining and preserving a bare world, a more complicated world? What is the message over here? And is there a linkage between these ten declarations and the many other tens in Judaism? Says the Maharal, Absolutely, yes. And let's start with this issue of 10 in Judaism. How do we view the number 10? 10, let's look at the minion. The minion, the quorum that allows us to have communal prayer. Each of us can pray to God without minion. God hears our voices and we can communicate with him, but we lack the energy of community. And there are certain aspects of prayer that require community, they simply cannot be done by the individual, and we lack the strength of community that carries our prayer, even if we are not 100% in tune all the time. I know, hard to imagine, but there are some people who, believe it or not, can't focus 
consistently throughout the prayer have full kavana, full focus, and there is a notion that when part of the community, the community energy helps carry up such prayers. That's lacking when you don't have the minions. You have three, four, five, six, nine people present, and you don't yet have the power of the minion. What changes when you have number 10? 10 represents the idea of disparity uniting. That rather than being individual, independent voices, now that you hit 10, you're back to a point of a one. Think about the letter Yud, the smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet, really like a little dot. Technically, it could be that something not much different than a little dot would count as a Yud. Look at a very, very, very small mezuzah. A lot of those, unfortunately, are not kosher mezuzahs, but find one that was written correctly, even though it's very small, written properly with ink on parchment, handwritten, that yud, not much more than a dot relative to the rest of the letters. And the idea that the disparity is coming back to be a one. And the one voice of the minion, whether you now have 10 or 10 hundred or 10,000, has the same capacity of community voice rather than singular voice. But singular voice of community rather than disparate voices of individuals. A parallel to this, in many ways, the idea of a quorum for a board, a legal board of an agency, an organization, a business, until you have the quorum, you have disparate voices that cannot represent the institution. There's no legal effect of the declarations of the individuals in the room until you have that quorum, and now you have the singular voice that represents the organization, the school, the agency, the business, whatever that is that we now represent. Ten. What seems to be disparate, all of a sudden we hit a point where we recognize it's not disparate, it's singular. Creation of this world, with its incredible complexity, is something that, if you study oceanography, it seems to be so distant from astronomy. If you're studying issues of subatomic material, so different from dealing with the topography of mountain ranges. Disparity, so many different elements that are so distant. You could be studying the distance between stars up there in, in the heavens and the, the, the elements, sub-elements of a little bug that's walking here on the, on the plant, down here on this planet. And the intricacies of each are so different than the other, but ultimately all connected. By describing the world as a world created in ten utterances, by God creating the world with ten utterances, he's describing that the vastness is ultimately united. That idea of the, the God particle, the fact that the word olam, which is the universe, and helam, hiding, the universe is that within which God is hidden. And we can use the world to quote-unquote mask God or to find God. And when we recognize that despite the fact that there's so many different elements that seem to be so unrelated to each other, but ultimately they're united in this interconnectivity. And how it's being recognized now more and more and more in science of the interdependency and interconnectivity of different elements of our vast universe. We see that oneness in this incredible creation. And that is the message of this opening Mishnah. When you are doing something that is, God forbid, clashing with the world project, 
you are doing something that is spiritually damaging, realize what you're tampering with. You're tampering with this world, this ten utterance world, this world of incredible complexity that is a world of ultimate unity within which we can find God if we are searching for him. And in doing something that is spiritually contrary, you're putting up a barrier against that. If on the other side of the equation, hopefully, you're doing actions that are supportive of this plan called project creation, you're doing things that are in sync with God's will, you are supporting this project, again, of that vast, vast, vast world of this ultimate unity of God. By the way, the other tens of this chapter, think about it, how the ten tests of Abraham reflect such different elements of personality and coping with whether it's financial challenge, family challenge, the, the physical challenge, but ultimately passing all ten signifies that there's one ultimate root. Avraham's capacity to win, succeed in each of these independent tests is because of the one core element of his connectivity with God and wanting to do what is in sync with God rather than deviate to the slightest degree from anything that would represent that connectivity, that bonding, that um, focus on doing that which is in God's will. Other tens in Judaism will work this way as well. And the message for us, perhaps, recognizing that God has given us a very, very vast world. He's given us a world that has room for one to view disparate parts that have nothing to do with each other, but we also have the capacity to find Him in that. And when we do acts of good, since God revealed that this is that world, He revealed by creating the world in ten utterances, and the Mishnah in highlighting this fact is making this evident to us, He's teaching us that your behaviors affect the whole thing. When we do something down here, we know, we know the physical realm down here, we can do something, a little petty act, and it can have major ramifications. Plant a seed, and years later, we have a tree that not only produces the shade or potentially the fruit, but affects the whole, you know, the, the ecology. It's going to affect animal life. It's going to affect the soil erosion. It may be affecting the structure of a building that's nearby by the branches that are falling off. There are far-reaching ramifications, and, and this tree may be seeding many other trees that end up being miles away from here. When the wind blows and carries them, this tree may now have been the barrier that blocked somebody's view, and they unfortunately got into an accident because they, they, they couldn't see around the corner. It could be the tree that provided children an opportunity to be having a tree house, which gave them a certain amount of joy and made life easier for their mother when they were out there having a good time. Again, the little ramifications of planting a seed can be very far-reaching for many, many years to come, generations to come. Spiritual acts, all the more so. The acts we do today, the spiritual acts we do today, they reverberate, they impact other people, they impact generations to come, and they impact generations gone by. There's a concept in Judaism that using, for example, right now the Kaddish, when one recites the Kaddish for an ancestor that is no longer alive, that ancestor is getting credit for having raised the person who is now making that declaration in the community, calling the community together to join in sanctifying God's name, 
when one gives tzedakah on behalf of one who's deceased, technically, even if it wasn't on behalf, but they were the catalyst for our being the type of person who gives that tzedakah, that serves them well forever. Our behaviors have far-reaching ramifications, physical behaviors or spiritual behaviors, and understanding this interconnectivity of the world, we can get a little bit of a glimpse into the Again, vastness, the ripple effect in so many different realms and understanding on a spiritual level that what we are doing impacts this entire universe beyond issues of space, beyond issues of time. That hopefully can be an inspiring message that gives us a greater sense of appreciation for just how significant each and every mitzvah we are doing. Hopefully, steers us away from doing anything that would be contrary as well. well let's focus on the positive for now. The, the degree to which our actions in the moment, you know what, feeling a little bit lazy, don't do this particular mitzvah right now, but understand it's far more than this little mitzvah right now. Our behaviors are, are of great significance, impact big time. With that in mind, hopefully we can look at the 10 utterances, better appreciate the world, our impact on this world. As we go through the Mishnah, hopefully find messages in the other tens. Another time, maybe we'll get to the other numbers of this chapter. And we should all merit studying this chapter, taking its messages to heart, and being the type of people who can use these messages to greater achieve our personal tachlis.